0: If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. We're starting a series today called That's a Good Word, Solid Advice for Life in an Unstable World, And we're doing this, Uh, last week we were in another series called The Gathering, and that's going to kind of pop up as we go through the year, but for the next little while, until I think Easter, we are going to be looking at um, the letter of James. Now the title of the message today is That's a Good Word About Trials, and trials are like cold days in Canada. They're like new music from Drake, they're like barbecues in the summer, you know at some point... They're coming. They're just going to happen. And the the, the thing I want us to to have in our minds is like what Scar says in The Lion King. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for what is coming. And here's the big thing I want us to take away today. There is a wise way to respond to trials that are guaranteed to come. This is what James is trying to teach us, that there's a wise and a right way to respond to the trials that are guaranteed to come. And my, my aim in the message today is to show us the right way to respond. So I want us to see clearly, what are, if there's a right way and there's a, a wise way, what are they? I want to show that. And then I want to sharpen our perspective on trials. So I want us to, to sort of see clear when it comes to trials. And then I want to motivate us to actually examine ourselves. That's the aim. Show us how to respond, sharpen our perspective, motivate us to examine ourselves. Verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That phrase, 12 tribes, tells us the letter is written to Jewish Christians. He says, greetings. Now, notice James calls himself a servant. He tells Believers, how we are to view ourselves at all times, that we are saved, gifted to serve. We see ourselves as servants. And don't miss that he calls Jesus Lord. He says Jesus is Lord. Now he reminds us who's in charge, Again, we need this constant reminder of who's in charge as we go through our unstable world. It's this reminder that Jesus is in charge, that he has all authority, and that Jesus uses this authority to serve. See, we can be called servants only because Jesus served us in the gospel, and so now we serve him out of gratitude. He uses authority in right and good ways. The other thing that's important is James calling Jesus Lord tells us how much he's changed. And you're like, how do you know that? Well, if you look back in the Gospel of John, it says, so his brothers, James is the half brother of Jesus, so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the work that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Watch this. For not even his brothers believed in him. James used to mock Jesus. He doubted his brother, didn't believe anything that he said. He mocked him. And I'm showing you this because I want you to think of the person in your life right now who mocks you who mocks the faith, you need to understand just how much the Holy Spirit can change that person. And what you should do is be lifting them up in prayer. If you truly believe that, James is completely changed because the Spirit of God opened his eyes to see who Jesus Christ is. And the Spirit can still do that for those people who mock the faith. Verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. And if you have an ESV, the footnote says this can be translated brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds. Notice that he says, when, not if. This is where, again, the big idea came from this. The big takeaway came from this. Trials, there's a right way to respond to trials that are guaranteed to come. James says, when, not if. If. And notice he calls the trials various. The Greek word here is, I'm going to butcher how to say this, but the Greek word here is poikolios. I know I said that wrong, but it's important. I'm trying to take you a little deeper. It can be, it speaks of something that is many colored. It speaks of something that's diversified. It speaks of something that is complex, that is intricate see the things that we face in life are not simple they stress us they confuse us they even trouble us at times and James says when you face stuff like this he says count it all joy that word count could be translated considered he's trying to get us to think a certain way James is trying to get into our mental and now you should be like why is he saying this Why would he say when hard things come into your life to be joyful, to be happy in a way for them? Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. See, he says rejoice because of what trials can produce in us. That's why he says this. Now, James, I want to clarify, he's not saying that when trials come, you need to hide your pain. You need to hide and just smile and, and sort of like everything's all good all the time. No, he's not saying that. We don't hide our pain. When, when things are tough, we, we, we're willing to express it. See, what he's trying to do, though, is he's trying to, again, sharpen our perspective so we think the right way. When trials come, we should rejoice because it's an opportunity to mature. It's an opportunity to grow. See, what trials does is it show us, shows us where we've grown. So trials can show you, this is, this is where I'm at. But trials will also show you where you need to grow, where we need grow. Trials refines our faith. It shows us if our faith is real, if it's genuine. Trials builds dependence on God. Watch this. Second Corinthians 1, 8, 9 says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death. But, contrast, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Trials take you to a place where you find real strength. No longer relying on ourselves, we are relying and dependent on God. When our faith is tested, the text says that it produces steadfastness. This word could be fortitude. It could be endurance. Trials builds character. Trials take us to a place of deeper dependence on God. But there's something really important that we have to do. Verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when James says perfect, he's not talking and saying that Christians can become perfectly sinless. It's another way of talking about maturity, saying we can grow. But notice that he says, let steadfastness have its effect. See, we cannot eject from the process, we have to actually stay in it, stay under it, stay trusting for us to develop and mature in the way God wants. Look over at verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man, don't miss that, blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. This means that we're not running from the trial. Sometimes we're tempted to run from trials the way I used to run from gunshot to carabana. It's just tempting. You want to get away, but it says you're blessed when you stay under it. We let the trial run its course. The person is not running to the world. They're running to their God. They're not running to the culture to try to find solutions. They're running to the feet of God saying, you need to help me. It says blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life there's a reward coming god is going to bless us and reward us which god has promised to those who love him we have to stay under now the thing that helps us stay under is what james tells us to ask for the wisdom of god that's what helps us stay under Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, that's me, that's you. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. But he is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. See, what James is doing here. He's telling us to ask for wisdom because he knows that trials can mess with our thinking. In times of trial, we we don't think straight. Again, our mental, it's not in the spot that it needs to be. Let me show you some of the ways that we think wrongly in trials. They can make us think that God is punishing us when he's not. And there's verses there for us to chase throughout the week and just, and just study and learn and listen to God. Trials can make us think that God is punishing us, but he's not. They can make us think that God has abandoned us, but he hasn't. They can make us think that God is not sovereign over us, but he always is. That's how trials can affect our thinking. The wisdom of God protects us from believing lies. The wisdom of God reminds us that our trials have a purpose. The wisdom of God helps us endure the trial. When the wisdom of God is in us, then we are able to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. We can keep going. As God helps us, helps us to be wise. That's why James says, ask. Now he says, ask, and then he helps us to motivate us by telling us some things about God. I don't want you to miss this. To help us ask, he motivates us. He tells us some things about God. First, he tells us that God is generous. He tells us God is generous. He says, let him ask God. Now, the literal translation of this is, let him ask the giving God. That's how it really comes out. Let him ask the, God is a giver. That's what he's trying to tell us. Our father gives, and we can trust God to give us wisdom because he has given us his son. Romans, it 8 says, 832, and he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's, you're going to get it. Because God is a giver. He is generous. We can trust God to give because he has given us the greatest thing that we need. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in our place. Then he says he gives generously to all. See, our culture practices discrimination, but God doesn't. God does not discriminate. He doesn't look and play favorites. He's not like, you know what, I'm really feeling Anthony today, but I'm not feeling Marv, so he's not getting any help. It doesn't work like that. He says, that kid needs help. That kid needs help. Here you go. He does not discriminate. That's the second thing he tells us. And then he says, God is not bothered when we ask. That's the third thing. It says that he gives without reproach. God won't cuss you out. When you come to him, God never looks at you and says, oh, Carla, you need help again? He doesn't do that. He says, Carla, Sabrina, Shay, I'm so glad you came again for help. I'm so glad you came to the right place. I'm so glad you came to your father. I'm so glad you're trusting me. I'm so glad you're not trusting yourself. That's what he says. And he gives what we need. And God gives with no complaining. He gives with no criticizing. He gives with no mixed motives. He gives with no reluctance. Here's a good reason to give God praise. Right? My pastor growing up used to say, this is a good time to give God a shout of praise. I wish the place was full so we could do, we could do that. Right? Something I want to happen in our church at one point is just people just start standing up and clapping when things are said right from the word. That's okay. Okay. But we should give God praise because this is who our Father is, generous. He never withholds what we need. And then he says, so James says, ask. And then, again, we want to make sure we're really pulling the Bible apart and making sure we don't miss anything. He tells us how to ask. He says we are to do it in faith with no doubting. Now, James is not saying here that we have to pray with perfect faith. That's not what he's saying, right? Sometimes we're praying and in the middle of praying we have to say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes that's a real reality. See, the double-minded person is different. The person who prays with doubting, what they do is they pray and they end their prayer and they say, you know what, that'll never happen. That was probably a waste of time. And James says, that person is unstable. You know why? Because that person does not trust the Lord. So they're probably going to run somewhere else to try to find the wisdom. James, what he's saying is, God wants us to come to him with confident trust. I believe that in, my, in, the, in the right time, my father will give me what I need. Now, in high school, we used to play this game, me and my, my boys, Sean, Justin, Wayne, Russell, all these guys, and uh, we used to play this game called B Word. Now this game, the way it worked was, all through the school day, right, so uh, in my last year in high school, I had one class and like four spares or something, I think that's what they're called. I had gym and lunch. It was great. Such a good year. So we played this game called B Word, and the the way the game worked was as soon as you showed up on the school premises, the game started. And what you could not do was ever say a word that started with B. Because here's how this went. If you said a word that started with B, somebody would slap you in the face. I loved high school. Now, We got to fifth period, and here's what happened. I forgot we were playing the game. So I said a word that started with B, and my friend, Wayne Williams, slapped me right, like so hard in the face, I thought I lost teeth. I was like, "Whoa!" And the, the slap felt like it came out of nowhere. I mean, like a head turn, hard. I I asked him, I'm like, are we good? I thought maybe he was holding something against me and just didn't tell me. It was a violent slap. Sprang across the face. And I felt like it came out of nowhere. Now you're like, why are you telling me that? Well, I'm telling you because what James says next feels like it comes out of nowhere. Verses 9 to 11, it feels like, huh? Watch. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass. It, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." Now, doesn't it feel like he's stopped talking about trials? You're just like, what? The whole time you're talking about trials, 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 and, if, and now you're talking about rich and poor, and it feels like he's stopped talking about trials, but he hasn't. Let me show you. Proverbs says, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Why? Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of God. Poverty and riches are both trials. They both come with temptation. They both tempt us to focus on the wrong things. And so when trials come, we should focus on our spiritual position because that is unchanging. That's what he wants here. When trials come, I focus on my spiritual position because that is unchanging. See, we, James, the world hasn't changed that much. The, our culture Judges people based on money and based on their social status. That was the same in the time of James. Same thing. It hasn't changed that much. And what that does is it puts pressure on the poor and the rich. Here's how it puts pressure. It puts pressure on the poor because it tempts the poor person to feel insignificant and forgotten. Because you're like, well, seems like the only people that matter in this world are those who have. And those who don't have all that much, well, hmm, that's how the culture seems to work. We're just kind of pushed aside. Then it tempts the rich person to feel significant and better than other people because of what they have. That's and the focus is in the wrong spot. And James says, when you live like this, it's not sensible. He says, when the rich person is is feeling powerful and and significant because of what they have, he he says, you can fade away in a moment. What James does here is he talks about trial, and then he illustrates a trial. That's what's happening. Trials, trials, they come. Let me show you one that is very Real And then what he does is he shows the wise way to overcome the trial. Now, here's the word for us. And this is the, it's, it's in the, the point, the, 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 the second point. When a hard thing shows up in your life and maybe something is going on right now, when that thing shows up, focus on your spiritual position because that is unchanging. Life and circumstance can change very quickly. That's what he's trying to show Put your focus in the right place. Because here's the thing. When we focus on our spiritual position, it protects us from finding our value and our hope in the wrong thing. Let me say it again. When we focus on our spiritual position, who am I in Christ? Who we are in Christ? It protects us from hoping in the wrong things, and finding our value and our worth in the wrong things. Our value and our worth does not come from what we have and what we don't have. It comes from who we are in Christ, children of God. Later, James is gonna tell us that we are, we are people who are going to inherit the kingdom. All over the New Testament, we're told that we are rich in salvation. All made possible by who? Jesus Christ. That is why our hope always has to be in the cross. That shows and where we should find our value and our worth. When trials come, listen to me. Focus on what is unchanging. Now, this text, what it does is it should slow you down. It should make us slow down and ask ourselves some hard, healthy questions. We should examine ourselves. And I want to give you seven questions to kind of ask yourself in times of trial as we slow down and as we look and reflect. Remember, I told you I want to motivate us to examine, to look at ourselves a little bit and ask hard but healthy questions. Here's the first one. Am I enduring the trial through dependence on the Holy Spirit or just looking to escape? Remember, we are tempted to run from trials. And so I'm asking myself, am I enduring, asking God for help depending on the Spirit or am I just, what's the fastest thing that I can get to and run to so I can pretend like this is not happening? We don't want to do that. Here's this next one. Am I doing more, I wrote this one for me. Am I doing more complaining than praying? I find sometimes when I look at my life and when I look at what's going on and I look at the battle sometimes that I face week to week, I'm like, man, I've talked and complained a lot to a lot of people, but I haven't talked to God that much. I haven't asked him for help. I'm not doing as much praying as I should do. Here's another one. Am I drifting into self-righteousness? Always tempting. Because we look, i like, I'm responding to the tough time that the world's in in the right way. I wish other people could see it as clearly as I do. That's just self-righteousness. That's pride. And so am I drifting into that spot? This one. Am I focusing on my spiritual position and allowing that to take me to a place of joy or have I just settled into self-pity? and just feeling sorry for myself. Again, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I know that, that the time is tough, that tough things come. But self-pity is never a place that we should go to because we're, we're deeply loved by God and we're being helped by Him. Sometimes more than we know. Next one. Am I experiencing trials because of sin, disobedience, or an unwise decision? Sometimes the tough thing that comes into our life is it's our own fault. I did something that just didn't make sense. It was unwise. And if that's the case, then I I need to repent. And I need to seek God and he will will grant the forgiveness that I'm asking for. Again, remember our father is generous. He does not withhold. Six, am I starting to listen to lies from the enemy and my flesh, making it hard to trust God's sovereign goodness over my life? We need to ask that question. And this last one, so important. Am I engaging in community and sharing with others how I'm really doing? Or am I just suffering in silence? Again, we've been saved, gifted to serve, but we're also saved and brought into a community, into a family. You guys know this. I try to talk about it all the time. I want our church to be so tight so glued together but we have to be willing to open up to one another and then we have to be willing to check in on one another talk to each other and say how are you doing when the person's like fine be like yeah how are you really doing though push a little bit and then be willing to embrace vulnerability something i'm always trying to work on i'm not the most vulnerable cat in the world But as we take those stories, this is how I'm really doing. Then the community of faith that God has brought us into can help us and support us so we don't have to suffer alone. I give us these things because I genuinely want us to examine ourselves. It's important. Why? Because when we do this, we realize maybe some of the ways that we're off, some of the ways that things need to change. We need to do and take this step this week and the rest of the weeks. Why? Because there's a wise way to respond to the trials that are guaranteed to come. They're coming. We're in one right now. And we should not be afraid to reflect. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us, God, to know that you are working in us in powerful ways, Lord. In the hardest times in our life, you're working the deepest transformation. If we bear up under it, if we remain steadfast under what you are allowing. God, we live in a world that is broken by our own sin and therefore trials are going to come. Trials have come, Lord. But Father, your Son, Jesus Christ, has also come to live and to die in our place, to bring us into a deep fellowship and relationship with you, Lord, that we walked away from. And so we don't face our trials on our own. We face them with our Father at the helm. We face them, Lord, with full access to you. We can get the help that we need. And so we pray, God, that you would help us to examine ourselves, to look at our lives, to have the right perspective on trials, to respond in the right ways, Lord, but also not to despair. We examine, we take these steps, Lord, so it can show us where we need to continue to grow and where we need to ask for your help. And so I pray that you would help us to do that. And God, give us faith and trust to believe that you will help us, that you will not leave us on our own. We thank you that you are a gracious, generous, good God and Father who's never bothered by uh, his children coming to him. Help us to do that. Thank you for the word, Lord. We need it. Help us to walk in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.